All right, we're going to continue through John. We're going to talk about um, this uh, this beginning, uh, John's account, um, and his, um, basically what he's talking about when um, the Jewish leaders, um, the high priests, come and take Jesus to Pilate. That's what we're kind of looking at this morning. So let's go ahead and read John 18. 28 through, um, we're going to go all the way through 28 through 38. Then they, and I'll I'll read it all the way through, and then we'll go ahead and uh, pray. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Then Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, he wouldn't have, or we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this is that Jesus, or they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying the kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, or, I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would be handed over to, so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it, as it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into this world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. Let's pray. God, I come before you today um, asking that you would um, communicate clearly um, what you would have us here this morning. Um, Speak to hearts this morning. I pray that every single person here Um, is open to uh, the Holy Spirit and you, God, and Christ, the Trinity, to come in and and have their way um, in our hearts. I thank you, Father, that that, um, your word speaks and moves people, just like it moves the mountains. I thank you, Father, that it, it, it moves the mountains in our minds and it moves the mountains in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, first off, I kind of want to look at the different characters that we have present within this text. Right here, we, we kind of did um, our kind of um, 
observation of Peter and Jesus and the kind of the, the juxtaposition that the, the text was kind of giving us between um, Peter, this, this person who um, wasn't all with it, very insecure, um, full of anxiety, uh, standing outside of the, um, the, where the Sanhedrin and the chief priests are meeting and, and putting Jesus on trial. And um, Peter stood outside with the temple police and they kind of questioned him. And he, uh, Peter basically didn't, sti- didn't really, uh, he was dishonest. He, he said, I don't know this guy. I don't know who he is. Um, all the while right there with them was, a, was, a guy, was the guy who he, well, it was, it was a relation to the one. Well, that was the one that cut off, you cut off that dude's ear, right? So um, Peter was just kind of like wrapped up in this, this lie, this story, this dishonesty, this disingenuine um, state, this d- disingenuous posture. All the while Jesus is being questioned inside by the chief priests and he is who he is like he has been for the past, for the whole gospel story since John 1, he is there and he is there for a reason and he is not dishonest, he is genuine. And, and it kind of paints this um, uh, juxtaposition between um, someone sinning, real, missing the mark, missing the whole point of the thing in Peter and then Jesus being righteous, being, being true, being genuine, being holy inside, being questioned by, by these people. And um, we're kind of, uh, we kind of find the same situation here. We see Jesus um, being who he is, the truth, righteous, holy. And then we see the characters surrounding the story. And, and this, this text is just as much about those characters as it is, is about um, Jesus himself. Um, Jesus is the most important character. Don't, don't uh, uh, mix my words or whatever. Uh, but Jesus is the most important character, but it is about them. Um, this story is a dialogue about God and his people. And um, his people and how they... Um, react to God and how they interact with God in the world around them. So let's go ahead and talk about Pilate. Um, Pilate's history is pretty cloudy. We do know that he was an actual person through historians and we know that he was a ruler. Um, there's, There's a lot of speculation on all sorts of different sides. Some people say that Pilate was a good ruler, and that's why he was there for the amount of time that he was there. Um, from before Jesus' birth to this point and, and a little bit after, um, I think he was about 37 AD after he um, left, left Jerusalem is when he kind of, kind of either retired or was replaced um, because of, of bad things. We don't necessarily know. We only know basically what the, outside of biblical narrative that is, is what I'm trying to say. So Pilate's history is cloudy at best. The information we have about this man outside of biblical narrative is he may have been born in Scotland. <laughs> he was most likely in Jerusalem doing this um, basically gig, um, trying to basically work himself up to a higher level so we could be closer to Rome, so he could basically go and basically get promoted is the thing. He's climbing the Roman ladder. Um, 
Some people believe he was a good ruler. Others people, other people believe that he antagonized the Jewish people and was just a bad governor. I think for this case, for this text, and for what, what we see here, I think we need to kind of zoom out and not focus as much on Pilate as what he represents. He is a representative of Rome and kind of the attitude that Rome had towards this people, the Jewish people, because um, Jerusalem is under Roman occupation during this time. Um, I mean, you look at it, and, and the Jews, the, the people who have inherited this land, have to go to Roman officials to pass, like, some sort of, um, to, to, to do something like um, punish a criminal, if that makes sense, um, what they view as a criminal. So uh, they are under Roman occupation. Um, the Jews are uh, strangers in their own land, and this is the... Um, this is the climate of the culture that we're, we're kind of uh, going into. So he is here representing Rome and probably wants to take care of uh, this problem in any way uh, to be able to give back the right sounding report to Rome. Um, this is a curious place to be in, and the text paints this picture of someone who kind of seems basically indifferent. Jesus was sort of a Monday morning problem for Pilate is probably the best way I could say it. He had a case of the Mondays. What, what is this problem that these people are giving to me this morning that I don't really care about? Because Rome really didn't care about the Jewish people. That's just the, the truth of it. Um, and that's basically uh, how I see and interpret Pilate in this in this specific text. And and then we have what the 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 chief priests, the leaders of the Jewish people, the representation of the Jewish people. Um, they're still concerned with staying clean because if they enter into the place of Pilate, they will be unclean for the Passover. They are full of zeal and want Jesus crucified. They have their blinders on and they want blood. I mean, we've had this narrative has been going on since John 5 is when we first hear from the mouth of one of the Jewish leaders, we got to find out how to kill this guy. Um, so years before, or maybe, I don't know, the timeline is hazy within the Gospels. So um, they are full of zeal, and they want, to want Jesus crucified, and they have their blinders on. They, they, they want this done. And it is no mistake that this is all taking place on Passover. The feast that remembers the, the last night of Egypt ca captivity, the night... Um, the Israelites were instructed to kill an innocent animal and put that shed blood as a mark above their doors so death would pass over them. And that's, that's, what they, that's one of the things that they, why Passover is a thing. That, that story, um, that last night of captivity, that, that um, lamb that they slayed, that blood that covered the door. And, and had that angel of death pass over them. So no one, no one in the household, the firstborn, um, would die, wouldn't die. But, but anything that didn't, any, any house that didn't have the, the blood on the doors, um, firstborn, dead. <laughs> the, chief, the chief priests, for lack of better words, are beating around the bush when they bring this um, Jesus Christ 
to Pilate. Pilate asks, what, well, why are you bringing this guy? And he said, they basically just said, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Um, so most likely, Pilate, being a Roman, the, the Roman governor over Jerusalem, knew exactly as much probably as the, Jew, as the chief priest knew because there's centurions everywhere. Um, he has spies probably, most likely. Um, won't talk too much about that because any further would be speculation. So um, there's to kind of kick us into the next part of the sermon, N.T. Wright has a, uh, a quote that I'm just gonna use. Um, it is Passover. Pilate doesn't want to touch this case. The chief priests are determined that Jesus shall die and that Pilate must therefore take charge of the matter. The greatest legal system of the ancient world and its noblest religion come together in the center of the, of the world, which was known as Jerusalem at the time. It was this hub, the center of the world is what they believed was, was, was the center of the world. Just like how back in the day, we thought that everything revolved around the earth, but then we found out that we revolve around the sun. They thought that everything revolved around Jerusalem. So, and, and at the center of the history, which, which I mean is, is neither here nor there now because Jesus stood before the woman at the well and said, there's gonna be a time where it won't matter what mountain you praise on. It's either this mountain in Jerusalem or this one over here. That's not what matters. I am the promised land, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, uh, I'm gonna start over. It is Passover. Pilate doesn't want to touch this case. The chief priests are determined that Jesus shall die and that Pilate must therefore take charge of the matter. The greatest legal system of the ancient world and its noblest religion come together in the center of the world and at the center of history. Together they blunder and stumble into an act so wicked, so unjust, so unnecessary, and so indicative of their own moral bankruptcy that therefore anything more, or before anything more is said, we can already draw the correct conclusion that the man at the center of this storm was indeed dying for the sins of the world. These final texts are just as much about the world as they are Jesus. The Jewish leaders in their blindness, John 9, 39 through 41, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who, who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were, who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. In our text, you see them following their tradition to a T, as to not become unclean by going into Pilate's residence. They do not see before them the innocent lamb of God, whose bloodshed would soon be the victory over death. You see this juxtaposition, and this is, this is supposed to speak to us. This isn't supposed to be just some moment in history because we know because of, of culture and the way and how we can see and look to the past that history repeats itself over and over and over again. 
We see this. We see this in um, the, the Old Testament, that in the beginning, God spoke, and then he spoke to the tohu vavohu. He spoke to the wild, the waste, the chaos, and he, he spoke a word that was Christ and brought order and beauty. And we, had, we have the picture of Adam and Eve, these, these, these people who were made in the image and the likeness of God, human beings made in the image and likeness of God, deciding one day to be gods to themselves and eating and taking from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we see this fall, this descent into madness, into craziness. We, we see the first murder with Cain and Abel and then a, a, um, a descendant from Cain rising up and, and taking power and talking about his, his power, his empire growing. And uh, it's all about who, who, how many people you kill and how, how much you destroy and conquer the land. And then you see God sending a flood and, and calling out and speaking, speaking a word to Noah. His word spoke. And that word spoke to Noah and started building an ark, beauty and order. Talking about two by two animals coming. You see this story, this narrative repeating. And then, and then um, we, we know how the story goes. Noah... Um, um, makes it to the other side, and it, it doesn't necessarily end well with Noah. Um, and it, one of his sons sees him in a in a um, he sees him in a not good way, um, kind of before him. And then um, chaos ensues, and then the birth of Babylon, and the rise of the empire of Babylon, and then God having to separate the languages. And then you see God speaking out to Abraham. Within the chaos and the disorder of Babylon, God speaks a word and Abraham hears it. Abram hears it and cuts a covenant with it. And you start seeing the, the chaos in the people. You start seeing the chaos, um, uh, the, the, the beauty of the covenant with Abraham that God has, has with him. And then it just keeps repeating. Um, uh, the, it, it just keeps repeating, the rise of Egypt, um, then God calling out Israel, sending another person. There's all of this chaos, all of these things, and, and it's just a repeating thing. And you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus and how his story mirrors the Exodus story about how he was baptized with the, the whole, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then what does he do? He goes out of the water into the wilderness to be tested, just like the Israelites were tested. You see this, this cycle, this thing repeating and repeating over again. So this is just as much true today as it was back then. Amen. In our text, you see them following their tradition to a T as to become, to, as to not become unclean, making sure that they stay pure and they stay clean and that they appear to be clean. There's a lot of people around that are wanting to put on this facade to, to make sure that they're clean. All the while, the Pharisees were saying, look at this drunkard, Jesus. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. I mean, he, was, he hung out with prostitutes and drunks and sinners and tax collectors. Look at the crew he rolled with. All of these people. And the Pharisees, the religious people, pointed fingers at him and said, look at that guy. 
this wine bibber, this, this drunkard, this, this, this man. We need to do something about him because he has a following now, and I don't know. But Jesus is standing there, the Messiah, their Christ, their Messiah. He's standing there saying, I am the fulfillment of what it's all supposed to be about. I am the embodiment. I am the incarnate word of God standing right here before you. If you want to know what the Old Testament's all about, look at me. If you want to know the purpose for the law and the prophets and what the prophets were talking about, look at me. Amen. If you want to know what the prophets of the Old Testament were talking about, look at me. Amen. Amen. These, these, these Jewish leaders, they do not see before them an innocent lamb of God whose blood shed, or they do not see the, before them the innocent lamb of God, the one whose blood was shed before the foundation of the world, the one whose blood shed would soon be the realization and the revelation of victory over death. That, that that's the victory over death. God dying on a cross because Jesus Christ was 100% man, 100% God, and he hung on that cross as God, reconciling the world back to himself, and, and, and God died. <laughs> um, but he was risen again, amen? We have the indifference of Rome and the empire, and there's not much to say here, but the silence of indifference rings out. The ringing will only get louder as the narrative of John's gospel is coming to its climax and resolution. Jesus is, a main, is the main character in this story, but it's more about what others are, are doing in this text and, and, uh, um, and, and what they're doing with this, what they see as a Jesus problem. And I think that this is something that we all, everybody has to do when you're confronted with Jesus the Christ. When you're confronted with these things that, 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 that seem almost paradoxical, this mystery of 100% human, 100% Christ, 100% human, 100% God. This is Jesus. And what you do with Jesus and what you decide to do with Jesus and, and this mystery of things like the Trinity, this idea that they are three in one and one in three, but they're not all, they're not different, but they are different, but they are different. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a, like, and there's so much. And that, that's why I, I love that song, the, the mysterious, this beautiful, scandalous night. The scandal wasn't on God's part or Jesus's part. The scandal was that the, his own people, God's own people, God's own people that were one day delivered from Egypt and, and, and taken out into the wilderness and provided for the, the, the scandal that they are in the position of the world. That's the scandal of it. That's the scandal of this thing that, that God has been, has been rebelled against time and time and time after again. And what does God do to, who, to humanity and his own people who are his enemies at this point. What does God do? He gives them the most precious gift, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, the one who has kept reassuring the disciples of the plan of his life. This is the plan, guys. I'm about my father's work. There are certain things that I have to do. There are prophecies. He speaks plainly about the prophecies, and we've read them, and we've gone back in the in the book of John, we've looked at when, whenever Jesus says this was for to be fulfilled of the prophecy of what I said and what was said about me in the Old Testament, we've looked at those things. Jesus is the one who has kept reassuring the disciples of the plan of his life to do the works of the Father and to die at the hands of his own people and the empire, the beast, Rome, the beast. Once again, N.T. Wright, he's, he's just smart, amen? He, he, he's, uh, he's amazing. Um, he's, he says in, 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 in commentary, what Jesus intends, what the chief priests intend, and what Pilate intends are all rushing together into an event so thickly interwoven that we shall, not, that we shall need to peer at it. Now from this angle, now from that, until we slowly understand all that John wants to tell us about it. The Gospels preach so much harder than they are preached in a lot of churches everywhere. It preaches hard, and it preaches about a juxtaposition of Christ and the world. Amen? And that's, and that's not, that's, that's, that, that's, that's, it's subversive. It's subversive and it, and it subverts all expectations. The gospel subverts our expectations and it's not about one side or the other. It's about Christ coming and subverting expectations in a new birth, a new world, a, a new rise of, 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 of the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And, and, and it's not, and the way that this comes about might be through the shifting of different, uh, what the Old Testament says is nations and different things like that. But in the end, in the end, it's not about one particular nation and it's not about one particular political party. It's about Christ the King and the kingdom of God is the climax, is the end. And that is the end to which we need to be looking. Let's pray and ask for guidance. God, Spirit, Christ, speak to us this morning. As we go forth, as we go on, let this speak to us in any way, or in, 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 in the way that you would have it speak to us. Our hope is in you and only you and your power is subversive and your power is displayed on that beautiful hill where Christ was crowned with a crown of thorns being lifted up. He was lifted up. That was the victory. When he said it was finished, that's when the victory was won. And that's what the victory of God looks like. The substance of the victory, the, the substance of the victory being the resurrected Christ. 
the evidence of the victory being the resurrected Christ, but the victory was won there in death. Let that speak to us. Let, it, let, it, let us wrestle with that. Let us, let us meditate on that. Let us, let, us, let us see it. Let that image be burned into our hearts whenever we get angry. Whenever we see ourselves in the situation of being indifferent, like Pilate in Rome, to the, to the innocent innocent lives being destroyed all around the world. Let us see Christ in those people. When we care more about what we look like, let the Christ hanging on the cross speak to us when we look like the characters in this story. In Jesus' name, amen.